The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not subject us to the final test. The Gospel of the Lord. The people of God can be really stupid sometimes. That is one of the significant thrusts of the book of Jonah, the conclusion of which we just heard in our first reading. As we noted yesterday, the book of Jonah is short. It's only four chapters long. It can be read through in one sitting in about 20 minutes. It is worth doing so, but it is necessary to do so with a willingness to pay attention and be ready to laugh. Because the book of Jonah is in no small measure an inspired, stylized telling of the struggles of a reluctant prophet that makes great use of exaggeration and humor to underscore a deadly serious point. And so ironically, if we can't laugh, we actually miss the deadly seriousness of what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us. And we see that writ large here at the very end of the book of Jonah. I'm going to spoil it for you. Because we just heard now the reason why Jonah is the reluctant prophet. You know, when we think of Jonah, we think of the fish that swallows him and spits him back up. But yesterday we heard this remarkable success his message had, preaching in the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the ancient Assyrian Empire, a people feared across the entire ancient Near East because of their ruthlessness and their violence. They did not just conquer neighboring nations, they destroyed their cultures and their societies. In fact, when Nineveh finally fell, when they were conquered by the Babylonians, the entire Middle East rejoiced. And there are writings in the prophets that echo that broader international rejoicing that this terror finally fell. And so at first glance, when we read the book of Jonah, we, it would be understandable to say, I could see why he wouldn't want to go there. 
to that people so renowned for their wickedness, so renowned for their violence, such great enemies of Israel and, in a sense, of everybody that's not themselves. But then we find out that in this city, the capital, Jonah doesn't even go all the way through, and they're already beginning to respond to his message. And they repent. And Jonah, when he finally finishes his preaching journey, goes up and sits on a mountainside. His message was 40 days more, and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. So Jonah then climbs a mountain overlooking the city, and he's going to camp out for 40 days because he's waiting for the fireworks. He wants to see the overdue punishment that those wicked individuals, that that wicked society deserves. Now let's be honest with ourselves. I'm not asking for a show of hands. But aren't, isn't that an uncomfortably familiar feeling? We have that too. We are so easily outraged and we want to see justice done. This is the attitude of the prophet. He's spoken the word that unless you repent, you'll be destroyed. And he's counting on them not repenting. And so he's sitting there waiting to see punishment like rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah, swallowing them up. Note the vindictiveness. And while he's camping out, overlooking this city, the sun is beating down on him, and he's exhausted. But he's not going to go anyplace. He's not going to get out of that heat because he wants to see what is done to those people who deserve that something be done to them. And isn't that an uncomfortably familiar feeling for us. How when we feel a certain righteous indignation, we camp out there. It's not just that we want to see something happen. We camp out there and wait for it. And however unpleasant it is that we're feeling, we're not going anywhere because we want something to happen. Isn't this what our contemporary merchants of outrage on both the left and the right want us to do? To camp out on that hillside, waiting for the bad thing to happen to my unjust opponent. Well, here's Jonah, the man of God. Let's not forget that. This is the man of God. And the book of Jonah very deliberately tells this story from the perspective of the man of God. And so what happens? Overnight, a plant grows up. And so the next day, Jonah's in the shade, and he's loving that. It's comfortable. It feels good. He doesn't have to worry anymore. And so he relaxes. 
And then the next day, we hear God sent a worm that came and ate the plant. Notice how ridiculous this gets. And when the plant dies, Jonah laments as if he's just lost a family member. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me. Because we are silly. And we get so dramatic when we're inconvenienced too, don't we? You know? Just, just think of what comes out of our mouths in our cars on the road. <laughs> you know, and, and little things get amplified and magnified, but they become especially magnified when we're already outraged looking for something to happen. And so here's Jonah. The outraged, angry prophet who is now inconvenienced, and this is the biggest thing in the world. The worst thing. He was swallowed by a fish, and this is the worst thing that happens to him. Like I said, you, you can't read this book and understand it if you can't laugh at how nuts this is. But then as we laugh, Jonah's holding up a mirror to us. Because this is how we are. We are this silly. This is not look at those pagans and how dumb they are. This is sacred scripture holding up a mirror to the people of God saying this is how dumb you are. This is how silly we can be. And so the Lord says to Jonah, are you upset about the plant? Angry enough to die, Jonah says. But we've never been that dramatic, have we? Notice, notice the manufactured drama. There's no pain like my pain. And the little thing that inconveniences me now is bigger than anything else that there is. Because it's mine, and I feel it. And so now God says to Jonah, you're, you're upset about a plant that you didn't grow, that bloomed in a day and was gone 24 hours later. You're upset with something so brief that you had nothing to do with. Shouldn't I be concerned about a city filled with people? That, yes, it's wicked, but they're people. A people that didn't have the benefit of the law a people that doesn't know its right hand from its left, that chooses a brutal, even brutish way of life because they know no other way. Should I not be concerned? It's the only book of scripture that ends with a question. The book of Jonah. Should I not be concerned about them? God's question. Wow. 
What a sobering statement that is, where our sense of outrage, our limited idea of justice, wants to see consequences handed out. And we're concerned about consequences. And the Lord is concerned about people. And we hear, and their cattle. That's the other one, one of the remarkable things about the book of Jonah. The cows repent. And the Lord is concerned for the cows. In other words, you want to see the destruction of everything connected to them. I don't. I don't send a prophet with that message because I'm winding up and I want to deliver punishment. I send a prophet with that message because I have mercy in store for those to whom I'm sending you. And it's just before this final question of the Lord, this statement of God's concern, that we hear the real reason that Jonah didn't want to go. Because he's waiting. He's waiting for the fire to rain down from heaven, and it doesn't come. And Jonah turns to the Lord and says, this is why I didn't want to do this. Basically, he looks to the Lord and says, because you're a sucker and you're going to forgive him. I didn't want to give the message because I didn't want to see them have a chance. I'd rather live in my hate and lose them and have them swept away. Because my anger, my resentment, my hatred, I don't want to let that go. And again, that's an uncomfortably common and familiar feeling. As much as we say we don't want resentment, we have a hard time letting it go. As much as we say we'd like peace and forgiveness, we have a hard time getting past stuff. Whether it's, again, the contemporary tendency for everyone to label himself or herself a victim in some way. Whether it's just that all-too-common tendency in our own households where we hold against the people we live with more than we hold in favor of them. And so we become pathetically silly and foolish, like Jonah, who can't rejoice that his message was successful, who can't rejoice that there's a movement from sin to forgiveness, because all he wants to see is that the sinner be punished, that the one who hurt me in some way get hurt too. And if God worked that way, there'd be no hope for any of us. How absolutely beautiful and powerful this story is. It's one of the most just 
even without the explicitly inspired dimension, this is just one of the most profound written meditations on the human heart that has ever been produced. This brief little book with this silly man who is silly with the silliness that afflicts all of us. This is not sacred scripture wagging its finger at the unbeliever and the silliness of, its, of their idolatry. This is sacred scripture pointing the finger at the believer. And that tragic foolishness that lives so easily in the heart. What an important message that is. And how good that we have it in the readings today twinned with this gospel reading of the prayer that Jesus teaches his apostles. Because we see something very important in this simple scene. First, this question of the apostles doesn't come from nowhere. They experience the prayer of Jesus. Jesus is praying. And over time, they've come to experience what it's like to be near Jesus as he prays. And what they discover is the prayer of Jesus is not like ours. It's not that the disciples never prayed before. So when they come to the Lord and say, teach us to pray, they're not coming as those who've never prayed, but they are coming to those as those who've never prayed as Jesus prays. They want him to teach them how to pray because they recognize that their own way of praying has fallen short in some way. And that makes perfect sense as the book of Jonah reminds us, my heart is not the heart of God. My way of understanding how things work is not the way the Lord does. The disciples are running into this too in their experience with Jesus. Everything about Jesus is different, including his prayer. And what they desire is to share that, to know that. And so they say, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples how to pray. You teach us how to pray. And note the other implication. We're not interested in what somebody else has to say about prayer. We're interested in you teaching us how to pray. And here, notice how Jesus doesn't begin. He doesn't begin with, oh, prayer's just talking to God. Notice he doesn't say that, because that's not true. Prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is something greater than that. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, just say what feels natural to you. Notice he doesn't say that either because prayer also has content. 
And prayer needs to rest on something solid. And what's solid is not what's on the top of my heart. What's solid is not what I happen to feel like saying right now in this moment. Because that's often shallow. And so the Lord says, when you pray, and you know, notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, say what feels right. He says, say this. This is the starting point for Christian prayer. Christian prayer is prayer in the spirit of Jesus. Not prayer in my vague sense of what the Holy Spirit might be doing. Prayer in the spirit of Jesus. It needs to be received first. And so note, when you pray, begin here. Say this. Jesus doesn't say that this is all there is, but he is saying this is the school. This prayer is the school. These words are a better school than any of those dozen books on prayer that you have on your shelf at home. These words. Start with these. And why? These are the words that carry the essence of my relationship with my Father. These are the words that carry the essence of my spirit. Start with these. They aren't many. They're few. They're simple. And when you receive him in Holy Communion today, be attentive to two things. Right before you come forward to receive Holy Communion, we're all going to stand. Jesus is going to be present in the sacrament on the altar. And when Jesus is present, two things always happen. God is worshipped and we are saved. Think about the first part of that we will not be the only ones praying. Jesus on the altar is praying too. And we are in his presence as he prays, just like those disciples were. And as we stand, what do we hear? At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say. And then we begin and we say this same prayer that Jesus gave his apostles when they said, teach us. But you're not saying that prayer alone when we pray it. And not just because we're all together, but because Jesus prays it with us. And so at that moment, that is the moment we who have been in the presence of Jesus as he prays stand up and Jesus is still saying to us, when you pray, say this. But think about the one present on the altar in the form of bread and wine. What does it mean that he says that? 
and that you say it with him. And notice how different that very familiar prayer begins to feel. And then after we pray with him, we come forward and we stretch out our hands and we receive him. And when you go back to your bench and you sit down with him within you, don't be afraid to say like the disciples, Lord, teach me. Teach me how to pray. And then just sit and let him teach you. This is not to say that we can never just say to the Lord what's on our mind. But sooner or later, Christian prayer has to grow beyond that. Sooner or later, Christian prayer, in a sense, needs to receive itself. And it needs to receive itself from the source. And that source has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing is, it's the Our Father recited at the Eucharist, which really becomes a deep, our deep school of prayer as often as we gather. But every time we celebrate Mass, if we're attentive, He teaches us to pray all over again. Because as our first reading reminds us, unless we let Him teach us, sooner or later we all become Jonah. And the Lord has more for us than that. Out of the silliness of our hearts, the Lord wants to call us into the substance of deep and genuine faith. Amen.